Welcome to an exciting forum of alternative viewpoints and balanced ideas. This is Good Morning Canada with Nav and Nav. That's Nav C and Nav M. Confused? Don't be, because two halves always become one. Now join us for an energized hour of global viewpoints and shared ideas, only for you. Now, here are your hosts, Nav and Nav. Hello, and welcome to Good Morning Canada. I'm your host, Navem, and welcome to another hour of Alternative Viewpoints. Conspiracy theories are sometimes described as attempts to explain important social and political events involving secret plots carried out by powerful conspirators for their own interests and against the common good of society. They provide revealing solutions to very complex questions as to why certain events occur the motives behind them, the identity of the plotters, and how blame should be conferred upon individuals, influential networks, or secretive cults. For decades, conspiracy theories have featured prominently in the social climate of the United States, and despite their prevalence in various forms of media, they continue to be masked by a veil of misrepresentation. Moreover, the growing power and reach of the internet has led many individuals across the globe to misinterpret the sheer volume of conspiracy theories currently in circulation as evidence of an unprecedented phenomenon known as the age of conspiracism. In the last few decades alone, media outlets have been awash with theories ranging from the assassination of President John F. Kennedy in 1963 as an inside job by the CIA the death of Princess Diana in 1997 as a plot between MI6 and the royal family, the collapse of the Twin Towers as, and the subsequent events of 9-11 being used by the Bush administration as a pretext to war in the Middle East, and to more recent events known as the QAnon conspiracy depicting President Donald Trump as a hero battling Satanist Democrats involved in a complex paedophile ring. Consequently, conspiracy theorists, i.e. those people who propose or believe in a conspiracy theory, are usually stereotyped as members of a fringe minority, characterised by delusional thoughts, a sense of irrationality and extreme paranoia. These misguided assumptions convey a highly distorted image to the general population regarding what conspiracy theories are and how they function. Indeed, conspiracy theories are not a recent phenomenon and can be traced back to early civilizations such as the ancient Greeks or the Roman Empire. And throughout history, conspiracy theories have been advocated by various groups of people that cross political, social and economic lines. Moreover, rather than being characteristics of a delusional minority as reported by various forms of mass media, conspiracy theories are characterised by a much higher rate of acceptance than previously thought. They also reflect the vast and complex workings of the human mind and its ability to channel motivational thoughts, which incidentally helps to explain the appeal and pervasiveness of conspiracy theories over long periods of time. For instance, a recent survey by the Pew 
Research Center dated 29th June 2020 revealed that 71% of Americans have heard about a conspiracy theory being widely circulated, alleging that powerful individuals or groups intentionally planned the coronavirus outbreak in 2019. And 25% of US adults see at least some truth in it. And just a quick point of housekeeping, the term conspiracy theory and its shortened version, CTs, will be used interchangeably throughout the episode. So while many CTs carry a high degree of credibility, such as the events surrounding the JFK assassination, which has benefited from the release of highly classified state documents at various intervals since 1963, many other CTs are plagued by a serious lack of legitimacy. And one good example of this is the lizard people theory infiltrating global elites. Nevertheless, according to prevailing logic, if supporters of CTs are deemed to possess a chaotic and irrational level of thinking, why then do so many people believe in them? And this particular question will be addressed later in the second segment. But the main focus for today's episode will be the role of power in creating a derogatory label which aims to cast CTs in a negative light. The underlying concept behind this mode of thinking is that those holding power have clear motives to marginalize or even silence those who challenge the pillars of authority. For instance, by questioning official interpretations of policy agenda, such as the justifications for going to war or the rationale for introducing new, le new legislation. And this is because anyone rejecting the official account of events, such as assassinations or so-called terrorist attacks, are competing with existing centers of knowledge and power, such as academics, the media, or government agencies. Hence, proponents of CTs are in direct competition with powerful groups to control the authority and flow of knowledge. Indeed, there is a strong belief that this authority reaches the highest level of the United States government via its spy agency, the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA. And this will be examined in greater detail in the second segment of the episode, but the basic argument goes something like this. During the post-war period, the CIA exploited a range of previous academic work in the social sciences in order to stigmatize anyone that rejected official accounts of political and social events with a level with a label of deviancy and the purpose was to establish parameters for defining the terms conspiracy theory and conspiracy theorist as a derogatory or denigrating narrative with highly negative outcomes and these negative outcomes were quickly adopted by certain elites, such as the academics, journalists, the mass media, and other power structures as a conspiracy theory. In other words, as a meme or idea which disseminates pervasively throughout society to shut down any form of critical thinking, to control public debate about the actions of those in power. Consequently, the negativity surrounding this meme becomes so overbearing that certain individuals or groups 
will simply suppress their thoughts of CTs to avoid being labelled as conspiracy advocates. Essentially, belief in anything other than the official line, as mentioned by the elites, becomes a form of deviancy, thus conferring legitimacy on the established system of rules. And to elaborate on this point, it's necessary to introduce a conceptual framework which will help explain the role of CTs within the prevailing power structure. So, as mentioned, the term conspiracy theory is used as a powerful tool to control those who question authority and the subsequent meme which is manifested. It then becomes an impediment to reasoned analysis. And this highly complex issue is particularly problematic in the field of academia because the nature of academic work requires the objective analysis of information. Many scientists and academics consider conspiracy theorists and their beliefs irrational and avoid being associated with them because CTs are deemed to be anti-establishment and anti-intellectual. Also, there is an overwhelming fear of one's reputation being besmirched and discredited by the conspiracy theorist label. Hence, labelling someone a conspiracy theorist is part of an overall strategy to control, dominate and spread confusion by attacking any form of alternative knowledge. What happens is that mistrust then becomes validated because the rejection of deviancy becomes an accepted form of understanding. So what I've just described is a very broad overview of the conspiracy model. But how did a model as complex as this develop and what are its origins? To answer th these questions, let's now examine the theoretical foundation of the conspiracy model because this will help to explain how deviancy becomes legitimized. And from the outset, the theoretical foundation of this work is vast, but I'd like to focus on four notable examples of thinking. Firstly, the language game theory of Ludwig Wittgenstein. Language game theory argues that words take on a distinct meaning, depending on how and when they are used. His aim was to see how words could be linked with the social practices of which they are a part. He believed that spoken language is part of an activity, linking cognitive processes with reality. Words acquire meaning by their use, depending on the particular rule of the game being played. For example, the word water with an exclamation mark can be used as an order, a request or even an answer to a question. The exact meaning of the word depends on the language game within which it is being used. And as we shall see in the second segment, the word conspiracy has become imbued with a overtly negative tone, changing its semantics entirely. The second area of thinking is provided by Karl Popper. Karl Popper first mentioned the term conspiracy theory of society in the second edition of his book, the Open Society and Its Enemies, published in 1952. He argued that certain individuals viewed major unpopular events as the result of the conspiratorial activities of powerful people. What people believed to be conspiracies were actually part of the, quote, 
unintended social consequences of typical human actions, end quote. In other words, the result of social systems. And when certain people are in denial of these unintended consequences, there is a need to find culprits to blame for their failures. And he used Nazi propagandist Joseph Goebbels as a perfect example of blaming the moral decline of German society on Jews. He then equates this with the deficit in a conspiracy theorist's knowledge base, thereby making the conspiracy claim invalid. Popper's influence on the potency of the conspiracy model is immeasurable, because not only has the parlance of the word conspiracy fundamentally changed, but it serves to delegitimize the conspiracist, hence creating a negative other. The third area of thinking is provided by Richard Hofstadter. Richard Hofstadter was an acclaimed American public intellectual, and one of his most authoritative works in contemporary history is The Paranoid Style in American Politics, an essay. And it was first published in 1964, and it examines the conditions that gave rise to the extreme right of the 1950s and the 1960s. He explored the worrying trends of irrationalism, delusion, demagoguery, destructive populism and conspiratorial thinking that have long influenced American politics and culture. Hofstadter linked conspiratorial thinking with the extreme right, though through ideas such as paranoia, anti-Semitism, anti-Catholicism, anti-black, xenophobia and anti-intellectualism through powerful mediums such as resentment, suspicion and conspiratorial delusion. He essentially was responsible for the characterizing of conspiratorial thinking as a form of paranoid delusion in mainstream American culture. And the final area of thinking is provided by the propaganda model of media. This was introduced by Edward Herman and Noam Chomsky in their 2002 book, Manufacturing Consent, the Political Economy of the Mass Media. And in their groundbreaking work, Herman and Chomsky show that, contrary to the accepted view that the news media is driven by a universal search for truth and pursuit of justice, they actually defend the various agendas of the privileged groups that dominate society, the state and the global systems of power. They describe how public opinions are manipulated by media propaganda because the mass media is fully integrated into the institutional framework of society. It acts in unison with ideological sectors such as academia and think tanks to shape and enforce corporate and state hegemony, referring to the influence or control over a group of people or another country. So these key ideas which I've just described form the backbone of the conspiracy model. And it's this conceptual framework which creates the toxic negativity surrounding CTs. And now that we have a framework to work from, the next step is to ask How do we define conspiracy theories and who are conspiracy theories? Well, to provide some clarity to this subject matter, I'll be relying on the definition provided by Joseph Yusinski and Joseph Parent in their 2014 book, 
American conspiracy theories. They describe conspiracy as, quote, a secret arrangement by a group of powerful people to usurp political or economic power, violate established rights, hoard vital secrets, or unlawfully alter government institutions. And when referring to a conspiracy theory, the authors state it is, quote, an explanation of historical, ongoing, or future events that cites as a main causal factor a group of powerful persons, the conspirators, acting in secret for their own benefit against the common good. And from both definitions, one of the key points to emerge is that CTs are essentially notions about power, who holds power and how is it being wielded. And this is because CTs implicate very influential groups that already possess power, such as presidents, legislative bodies, industries or corporations, elite elements in society or even foreign countries. Hence, by their very nature, powerless groups are rarely accused of conspiring. The weak and marginalised are rarely seen as conspirators, able to pull off a successful conspiracy. And another key point made by Yusinski and Parent is a conspiracy theorist. This is anyone who believes in or propagates conspiracy theories. However, the term is generally used to describe those individuals who take a more proactive role in developing or spreading conspiracy theories. Notable examples include people such as David Icke or Alex Jones. Also, it's important to make another distinction. While the conspiracy refers to a real-life event, conspiracy theory points to an accusation or perception which may or may not be true. And the lines of demarcation between conspiracy and conspiracy theory remain blurred and are fiercely contested. However, a vast amount of research suggests that most people believe in at least one conspiracy theory but will reject various others by simply focusing on theories which could be true compared to those which are actually true. And many of these findings are consistent with a more balanced definition of this complex subject matter as provided by Catherine Olmsted, Professor of History at the University of California. And in her 2009 book, Real Enemies, Conspiracy Theories and American Democracy, she states that a conspiracy occurs when two or more people collude to abuse power or break the law. And secondly, a conspiracy theory is a proposal about a conspiracy that may or may not be true. It has not yet been proven. So although conspiracy theory and conspiracy theorists do not always express some form of illegality, the two terms clearly hold negative connotations for the majority of people. And to explore this vague and often blurred terminology, in the next section I'll be addressing the following issues. How have these terms evolved historically and how did they develop into such powerful negative devices? And also what influence did people, especially powerful people and institutions, play in their development? Let's start with a historical perspective of conspiracy. A common view propagated by journalists and certain academics is that we now live in 
what's called an age of conspiracism or conspiracy beliefs are on the rise in the contemporary era. To a certain extent, this argument is understandable because CTs maintain a ubiquitous presence on the internet and there is a growing body of evidence to suggest that the growing that the general population on a global level supports them on a, on a very wide range of issues. But how true is this? What does the empirical evidence tell us about the prevalence of conspiracy thinking over time? In a highly exhaustive research project, Joseph Yusinski and Joseph Parent in their 2014 book, American Conspiracy Theories, randomly selected approximately 105,000 published letters that US citizens sent to the New York Times and the Chicago Tribune between 1890 and 2010. And their research team meticulously coded the letters for conspiratorial content and discovered that each era is filled with social crisis situations and the content of specific conspiracy theories varied considerably over time. Curiously though, the prevalence of conspiracy theories did not increase over time. Instead, the evidence pointed to fluctuations. And there were peaks in the data pointing to the increased conspiratorial content, but the peaks did not occur in the most recent decade. The first peak in data occurred shortly before the year 1900. And this was at the height of the Industrial Revolution, a period characterized by the growth of major companies, rapid technological change and the rise of new power structures. Such major societal change leads to insecurity among citizens, particularly those who feel displaced and powerless. And the second peak occurred during the late 1940s and the early 1950s, a period that marked the beginning of the Cold War. Many of the CTs advocated during that period were linked to the fear of communism, example McCarthyism. The main conclusion which emerges from this data is that conspiracy theories have not increased over time, and if there was an age of conspiracism, it was certainly not in the most recent decade. Yusinski and Parent argue that insofar as the internet has an influence in conspiracy theorizing, its role is actually downplayed to that of replacing other forms of communication, example word of mouth, and consequently offer little support for the proposition that CTs are unique to our digital age. And furthermore, there's also little evidence to support the idea that CTs are specific to Western cultures because various research studies reveal considerable conspiracy theorizing all across the globe. And a more plausible conclusion is that a tendency to believe in CTs is part of human nature and that people have been susceptible to such beliefs throughout history. One of the strongest predictors of such beliefs is the presence of crisis situations because with each new major generational crisis such as revolutions, wars, economic recessions and natural disasters, these factors provide more robust explanations as to why conspiracy theorizing has been consistent throughout history. So let's now look in greater detail at historical crises and their impact on conspiracy theories. A scattering of major events in recent history have propagated a growing trend of conspiracy theorizing, for instance, 
the recent COVID events were planned at the highest level by a secret cabal of powerful individuals. The financial crisis and subsequent re recession of 2008 were planned by financiers and bankers to get Barack Obama elected in 2008. The climate change denial movement suggesting that global warming is a hoax. Also various wars such as Iraq and Afghanistan were purposely staged to ensure the continuity of the petrodollar industry. While many CTs in the post-war period have implicated government institutions or key industry sectors, various other societal groups have routinely been implicated in conspiracy theories, such as the Jewish population. Jewish conspiracy theory suggests there is a Jewish plot to achieve world domination through finance and banking. And anti-Semitism has continued to be a recurring issue throughout the course of history during the 1930s and 1940s. For instance, Jewish conspiracy theories were a major part of the political agenda of totalitarian regimes such as Nazi Germany and Stalinist Russia. Going back to the medieval era, the European Jewish population were a prime target for conspiracy theorizing because of their tradition of money lending and they were also blamed for ec epidemics such as the Black Plague. Furthermore, during the Roman Empire, there are many examples of conspiracy theories linked to major crises, such as the Great Fire of Rome in AD 64. So when we hear such accounts, it's easy to understand how CTs can become linked to a major societal event, because it's possible to argue that they are simply anecdotes given the unique circumstances and often the size of the event. But let's not forget that not all CTs originate from a real crisis. Take the moon landings, for example. The point being, it's not the size of the event or how real it is. The key point is how individuals cognitively process the information at hand and how it affects their emotional state. This helps to explain why, when such theories involve a nation or society in crisis, they often become highly charged with the subjective thoughts and emotions of the population reacting to a crisis in different ways. And what this suggests is that people will always be attracted to CTs rather than the official non-conspiracy explanation because they satisfy important philosophical, social and psychological motives which are unique to the individual and not, as the mainstream media will argue, that it's a case of gullible people simply falling for anything or the first thing that they hear. And so... In the next section, I'd like to explore each of these motives in turn, highlighting the reasons why people are drawn to conspiracy theories and why their appeal is so per pervasive. Broadly speaking, the majority of academic thought about conspiracy theory falls into two types of debate. Firstly, the philosophy of knowledge, science and politics. This branch focuses on the work of analytical philosophers and seeks to determine what counts as a conspiracy theory and whether such theories are robust. Secondly, psychology and sociology. This branch seeks to investigate the causes of CT theorizing based on cognitive behavior and the study of society and its institutions. Firstly, let's look at the philosophical debate. Those questioning official accounts of events are frequently dismissed with the 
damaging label of conspiracy theorists. Their views are dismissed because they are considered outside the parameters of acceptable controversy. In other words, the conspiracy theorists do not play by the rules. And we reference here Wittgenstein earlier and are not part of the game of truth as defined by those in power and are branded as an irrelevance. But this label of illegitimacy goes much deeper because those theorists are not just proposing false explanation according to the official version. Their work is not even worthy of being contested. They are considered to be beyond the realms of normality and simply dismissed as irrational or paranoid using Richard Hofstadter's paradigm. However, as recent history illustrates, to adopt this approach would have been a profound epistemic mistake because many conspiracy theorists have acted as watchdogs by uncovering legitimate crimes. And key examples include the Watergate scandal in 1972 and the Iran-Contra arms deal in 1986, which were certainly counteracted presidential abuse and power. Other viewpoints in the philosophical debate believe CTs can have societal costs. For instance, anti-Semitism was a tool used by Adolf Hitler to consolidate his power over Germany during the 1930s. In addition, the fear of secret societies were used by Joseph Stalin to establish power in the Soviet Union. And returning to Karl Popper mentioned earlier in the episode, he argued that in their effort to explain societal events, humans inadvertently link causality to other individuals and groups rather than believing in chance or fate. And this is due to their desire to explain events in psychological terms. Conversely, the best way for authorities, at least, to distinguish between scientific and unscientific was through the process of falsification. In other words, an unfalsifiable theory, something which is difficult to prove wrong, is not considered to be empirical science and was therefore pseudoscience. This inevitably places conspiracy theories in the category of the unscientific and therefore irrational or delusional camp. And I'd like to take a brief pause at this point because we're just coming up to a short break. Much more to come in the next segment. See you soon. Welcome back. You're listening to Good Morning Canada with Navem. It's great to have your company. Let's now turn to the second main category of academic thought, which is the psychological and sociological debate. Firstly, psychological factors. A large body of research has focused on the psychological factors that increase the likelihood of a person endorsing a conspiracy theory. Firstly, there are number one, existential needs. Conspiracy belief offers people the opportunity to address their existential problems and by endorsing CTs, it's seen as a way to achieve a stable and accurate understanding of the world. Various studies have demonstrated that conspiracy belief is associated with feelings of powerlessness, lack of control, a sense of uncertainty, personal anxiety and a lack of socio-political control, specifically alienation from the political system. And in times of negative or unexpected events, people experience a heightened need to explain the world around them and increasingly turn to conspiracy theories in order to do so. Secondly, personality traits. 
Psychologists have linked belief in CTs with various personality traits. For instance, the need to validate one's image. And a good example is narcissism, which refers to an individual's exaggerated self-importance driven by a need for external validation. Narcissists believe their talents border on the extraordinary, but they are also obsessed with how others perceive them. This creates a tendency to be paranoid. In other words, someone is constantly thinking that uh, people are trying to undermine them. Hence, paranoia about the malicious intent of others feeds into this spiral of political and social conspiracies. Thirdly, cognitive processes. One example is a form of bias called pattern perception. Research from social psychologists suggests that humans are inherently averse to randomness and attempt to impose meaning upon randomness by perceiving patterns that may or may not actually exist. Hence, conspiracy belief can be explained by random pattern perception. Furthermore, conspiracy beliefs can be predicted by a cognitive process known as agency detection. In other words, major events are part of a grand design by secretive cabals to enact malevolent plots. And as a result of evolutionary design, the human brain will detect a malign agency in the environment. And fourthly, conspiracy mindset. Some researchers have shown that a willingness to conspire is associated with a predisposition towards conspiracy thinking. While most individuals generally align themselves with the views of the majority consensus, in other words, to comply with societal norms, there are those who possess an enhanced need for uniqueness. They believe themselves to be enlightened individuals who are able to see past the deception which has been thrust upon society. And all of the factors just mentioned suggest that CTs are psychologically appealing to individuals because they take the form of narratives and the human brain has a natural disposition towards storytelling. Hence, information becomes more receptive when presented as an appealing or motivating story. Let's now look at the influence of sociological factors. Conspiracy theories can also be linked to identification with certain social groups. This may include, for instance, nationality, political allegiance or ties, ideological viewpoints, racial background and age and demographics. And Social identity theory argues that people's social lives revolve around their membership of what's known as in-groups or out-groups, which affects an individual's identity and self-esteem. It follows that if the authority and legitimacy of the individual and their respective in-group is threatened, they may turn to belief in conspiracy theories. This often includes those with low social status due to race, race ethnicity or income factors and even extends to those who have experienced loss or trauma or a very personal crisis. Indeed some commentators have argued this explains why many of former President Donald Trump's support base resorted to accusations of a conspiracy, th uh, conspiracy theory known as QAnon when he was unable to secure a second term. Trump's loss of political power became transferred and equated with a personal loss of power for many of the in-groups, 
Hence, those who experience a heightened degree of ostracism and victimization from broader society feel invalidated through a loss of recognition. And as a result of this, may turn to CTs, which will debase the outgroups. And at this point, I'd like to briefly mention the influence of uh, social media. The recent boom in social media use has proved to be a significant factor contributing to the prevalence of CTs. Research from a Gallup annual governance poll conducted between August and September of 2020 revealed the following. Four in 10 US adults say that they have a great deal of trust and confidence in the media to report the news fully, accurately and fairly, whereas six in 10 have not very much trust or none at all. So this suggests that more people are turning to alternative sources of information such as social media for information on social and political events rather than mainstream news. Although social media has enabled vast numbers of people to gain access to news information from their mobile devices, the databases used, or many of them, are largely unregulated and therefore undermine source credibility. Therefore, much of the information can be labelled as narratives which promote paranoia and irrationality. Discrediting becomes much easier because the platforms are able to attract very large captive audiences online. So now that we have a better understanding of why people are drawn to conspiracy theories and their continuing appeal, in the final segment I'd like to turn to the evolution of the negative label. And two key questions in particular which were put forward earlier. How did CTs evolve into such powerful negative devices? And Secondly, what influence did powerful people and institutions play in their development? Although both questions are closely linked, let's begin with the first. Why does the conspiracy theory label carry such a negative connotation? Well, one explanation is acad academia's reliance on rational explanations by testing hypotheses with empirical data but this approach immediately conflicts with the secretive nature of CTs. For instance, how can one prove or disprove something based on a framework of secrecy? Indeed, to label something a conspiracy theory is to assign it with negative status, which automatically favours one explanation over another. Also, many intellectuals and academics regard the bulk of conspiratorial thinking to be baseless and anti-intellectual. Overall, this argument carries weight because the irrational camp is competing for legitimacy and one version of truth over another. And this becomes more meaningful because the credibility of elites such as journalists and academics are involved. But we immediately detect a dichotomy here because in the broader conspiracy conversation a double standard exists which is an official version of events related to conspiracy is almost never considered a conspiracy theory. However, anyone who chooses to reject the official account of events is considered a conspiracy theorist. So let's now examine the second question which is the influence of powerful people. Perhaps the most 
negative reference to conspiracy theorists is paranoia. And one of the most frequently cited authors on this subject is Richard Hofstadter, who is responsible for linking the two modes of thought. And we introduced his work very briefly at the beginning of the episode. As early as 1958, Hofstadter began linking paranoia and right-wing extremists with conspiratorial thinking. Beginning in 1964, he published a series of articles that chronicled the evolution of what he considered to be the extreme right in America. And as mentioned earlier, he referred to it as the paranoid style in American politics. Hofstadter influence on the public's perception and indeed other scholars towards conspiracy theories cannot be overstated. As Jack Bratich, professor of journalism and media studies at Rutgers University has pointed out in his 2008 book, Conspiracy Panics, Political Rationality and Popular Culture. By simplifying a clinical psychology term and transferring it to the field of politics, Hofstadter effectively pathologized conspiracy theories by making or bringing deviancy into the mainstream vernacular. But in doing so, he gave CT's formal structure a historical thread, thereby creating a new genre of political knowledge. Hofstadter's essay also marks a turning point when CT's were now violently elevated to political extremism. While Hofstadter maintained that his use of the term paranoid in describing conspiracists was intended only as a form of analogy, his writings and the writings of those who followed have inadvertently contributed to a mainstream view, equating CTs with paranoia and other psychopathologies. Hofstadter admitted his use of the term paranoid style in connection with conspiracy theories was intentional. He stated, quote, of course this term is pejorative and it is meant to be. The paranoid style has a greater affinity for bad causes than good. And as Jack Bratich states, quote, the term paranoid style transformed a multiplicity of beliefs in conspiracy into a negative stylized form of thought. Hofstadter argued that the lamenting paranoid Conspiracy theorists sees conspiracy in everything. Hofstadter vehemently believed that CTs were largely a construction of the political far right and traced the roots of this conspiratorial thinking to anti-Semitic and anti-Masonic movements. Hofstadter's work from 1963 to 66 has hugely influenced conspiracy theory, thought and research and is cited in almost every article and book published on the subject of conspiracy theory. And from this analysis, we've established that the most significant social construction of the pejorative or negative connotations began with Hofstadter's work. Furthermore, there is evidence that the term conspiracy theory acquired much of its negative connotation from a CIA program designed to negate any questioning of the findings of the Warren Commission report, which was set up to investigate the JFK assassination. Interestingly, within two years after the publication of its findings, newspaper articles and books challenging the Warren Commission's report began to appear. The term conspiracy theory appeared in five separate stories published in the New York Times in 1964. Also in January 1967, the CIA sent dispatch 
1035-960 to its local offices around the world. And this highly important document was designed to grab media influence by persuading them to accept the report's findings. In addition, CIA personnel were instructed to support the report's findings by skillfully employing arguments and counter-arguments to refute any attacks from the critics. And by deploying its propaganda assets, the CIA's program was a marked success because the outcome was to link paranoia and marginality to the conspiracy label theory. Now let's turn to the final area of analysis in relation to how power is wielded using the negative label by asking, is it a form of hegemony? The Merriam-Webster dictionary describes the word hegemony as, quote, <clears throat> the preponderant influence or authority over others. Although the term hegemony is usually reserved for the political sphere, it is equally applied to a social or cultural context. For instance, cultural hegemony refers to the domination of society by an elite or ruling class or hegemons. The elite class manipulates broader society so that it may accept the prevailing ideology as a social form. Hence, in this context, what we see is that anyone who questions the official version of a significant event or events as reported by the media or other authority figures in power, quickly becomes denigrated as a conspiracy theorist, promoting a conspiracy theory. And while there are many prominent academics whose central premise is that belief in CTs is largely based on cognitive biases and social, sociological factors, which ultimately creates a flawed thinking on behalf of the conspiracy theorist, in particular, I'm referring to Professor Karen Douglas uh, of the University of Kent. I think it's important to remember that conspiracy theorizing is far more complex than analyzing pe how people make cognitive sense of world events. It goes much deeper than that because, as George Orwell famously said in his authoritative book, 1984, quote, we know that no one ever seizes power with the intention of relinquishing it. Power is not a means, it is an end. Conspiracy theories are essentially enforcers of hegemony by exercising power, control and coercion of one small group over a much larger group, with constant reminders that conspiratorial thinking is a flawed mode of thinking. CTs were always designed to be divisive issues because of the demarcation between legitimate and rational knowledge on the one hand and illegitimate and irrational on the other. The term conspiracy theory divides individuals into two neat groups, conspiracy theorists and the regular people. In other words, a binary world of black and white, good and evil, which shuts down any nuanced understanding of human society. But the most insidious aspect of negative labelling or the pejorative is that the ruling elites create hegemony through the acquiescence of societal norms because once the negative connotations become entrenched or embedded in society, they are very difficult to challenge. But interestingly, time offers us the added benefit of distancing individuals from events and 
this allows the first ripples of critical thinking to permeate through because at some point we begin to interrogate our suspicion about the official narrative or the official version of a major event. Is there something slightly off about a particular detail, especially if a new piece of evidence is introduced? And over time, the cumulative weight of critical thinking will inevitably lead to an erosion of public trust in the institutions which uphold hegemony, such as government, media, science, academia and the private sector, thus fueling even greater interest in conspiracy narratives. Indeed, there is a substantial amount of evidence to suggest that people are right to mistrust authority, government and unbridled hegemonic power. For instance, in the 20th century, more than 169 million people were killed by their own governments, according to the distinguished American political scientist R.J. Rommel in his 1994 book, Death by Government. Rommel provides startling evidence the war only accounted for about 20% of the unnatural deaths in the 20th century. The number of people murdered by their governments, however, is four times greater than those killed in warfare between the period 1914 and 1991. Rommel points out that it's not the actual regime that kills, but those making up the regime. And equally interesting is a Washington Post article dated 23rd December 2016 with the bold headline, The US tried to change other countries' governments 72 times during the Cold War. So this raises the question, how can the coercive control of governments and other powerful institutions be so effective, such that their populations are lulled into acquiescence about such events, maintaining a clear disconnect from reality? The sociologist C.W. Mills referred to this as a false consciousness in his 1956 book, The Power Elite. He argued that what individuals are interested in is not always to their best interest. It's not only that men are unconscious of their situation, they are falsely conscious of them. This false consciousness is partly created by societal power structures, which manipulate knowledge and information leading people to take actions against their best interests. This indoctrination occurs through the control of the media, educational and other social systems. People accept the status quo because essentially they're ignorant of how they are being harmed and are unaware of any alternatives. And this forms the essence of cultural and social hegemony because those in power will conspire to keeping people in a permanent state of fear and ignorance. This makes it easier to manipulate and control society through the labelling and negative connotations provided by conspiracy theories. Governments have strong incentives and agendas to create fear among their populations by either orchestrating major events or allowing them to happen. Such actions have been used throughout history to justify coup d'etats, launch wars and reign in civil liberties. These actions, known as false flags, have been well documented throughout history. Essentially, they are covert operations carried out by government agencies designed to appear as if they had been carried out by other parties with nefarious intent. And two notable examples from the United States include the following. 
Firstly, Operation Northwards, America's top military leaders drafted plans to kill innocent people and commit acts of ter terrorism in US cities in order to raise public support for a war against Cuba. The Gulf of Tonkin incident, where President Lyndon Johnson falsely claimed that North Vietnamese forces attacked US ships to escalate military operations in Vietnam and essentially to legitimize an, an unjust war. In the power elite, C.W. Mills described an American ruling class with a unique worldview that societal power should rest with the elites as a means of controlling American capitalism, maintain a permanent war economy and control public opinion through the mass media. And also we can look towards the author Edward Bernays in his 1928 book Propaganda described where he described the various methods employed by government and corporations to manipulate public opinion using an increasingly sophisticated media. Control of the conspiracy theory model is one of the most powerful tools the elites possess in their pursuit of centralized power and to perpetuate the hegemonic framework. And so at this point, let's wrap up today's episode with uh, a conclusion and final remarks. Influential authors such as Karl Popper and Richard Hofstadter, along with the CIA, played a key role in developing and propagating the conspiracy theory meme in popular culture. And they did this by manipulating the semantics of the term conspiracy that was achieved by introducing a pathological or disease-type dimension to the equation. And throughout this episode, I've explored the possibility that the term conspiracy theory is a label which is hegemonically constructed and serves to negate and shut down any form of discussion. Individuals or groups that reject the official accounts of significant events in world history have been labelled conspiracy theorists and the explanations that they propose have been labelled conspiracy theories. Hence, by ridiculing and ostracising CT beliefs, this serves to silence critical thinking. This is partly because the institutions which are best qualified to assess the claims of conspiracies are also embedded within the elite establishments. This includes universities, journalists, academia and government institutions. In other words, the same institutions are either part of the alleged conspiracy or they are too close to the conspirators to render an impartial judgment. CTs are also unique because of their non-falsifiable status. In other words, it's difficult to prove that a secret plot is not taking place. That's because if powerful actors aim to conceal vital information, then evidence will always be hidden to create as much confusion as possible. Substantial evidence exists that powerful institutions and their agents created the terms conspiracy theory and conspiracy theorist as specific tools loaded with negative connotation to create subterfuge and to exploit individuals to prevent them from learning the truth. And in the final analysis, the irony is that conspiracy theories encapsulate the viewpoints of the powerful by suppressing the ideas of the powerless. And it's simply not possible to know the strength and scope of ideas unless they're allowed to flourish in an open environment. After all, if conspiracy theorists 
Do not challenge social and political truths and speak for the powerless. Who will do it? Think of Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein, the journalists that exposed the Watergate scandal, or Gary Webb's Dark Alliance story of the crack cocaine explosion and CIA complicity. Conspiracy theories can mobilize the powerless to counteract the corrosiveness of power structures, and it's important that this role played by conspiracy theorists should not go unnoticed, because after all, it is the outliers in their corners of darkness which shed the greatest light on our own existence. And that's all we have time for in today's episode. Many thanks for listening to Good Morning Canada. I really appreciated your company today. And as always, I'll see you next time, Wednesdays at 9am Pacific, 12 noon Eastern. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Good Morning Canada. Please join NAVC and NAVM for another great program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you soon.